Yeah. yeah. Good you man. clap now. We're in the second half of Romans chapter one this morning. Uh, before we get there, Brad has alluded to this. Is I love baptisms. I really do. I love them so much, I feel like we could baptize people all day long. So with that, uh, we're just going to grab the bottle. We're going to start throwing. You guys are going to help me. We're just drive-by baptisms. It's going to be great. Uh, no, we've got the water. We've got clothes in the back. Uh, if you know that you've not been baptized, it's something that you know you, you should have done by now, and you are just not doing it for some reason. Maybe it's a fear thing. Maybe you just don't want to be in front of people. Maybe it's whatever. I want to encourage you this morning that as we continue throughout this morning, as, as we go through the service, if you find that, you know what, I, I need to do it. The water's here. We've got clothes for you. I think we've got towels. Uh, if not, well, good, see? If not, then you worship wet. Uh, <laughs> Peter did it. Uh, you know, you think about that. Peter got back into the boat, right? He got back into the boat after sinking and praised wet, right? So we, there's, there's nothing that should stop us from anything. Uh, so as we continue this morning, if you want to, like I said, we've got everything you need. Uh, you can see Brad, you can see Julie, find another pastor, Melina, uh, go to the sound booth, however you want to do it. Um, the, the, the opportunity is available. Um, okay, so this morning, like I said, we're going to be in the second half of Romans chapter 1, and it's going to be fun. We're going to take some deep breaths, and we're going to get through this together as a family. So, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness, of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and may exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in their desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded amongst themselves. They exchanged the truth of, a God, the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served what had been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind that they might, they might, that they might not do what is right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, those that practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. The word of the Lord. I end with the word of the Lord every time I read scripture for two reasons. One, to remind myself that it's his word. And two, because whether I like what it says or I don't like what it says, it's still his word. This morning, we've got 
uh, a, t- a tough topic in front of us. Last week, we talked about you know, righteousness and justification and the holiness of God and, and standing before God rightly and how we're, we're redeemed in Christ and how we get to just stand before God in perfect love and perfect harmony and, and, and just wonder and beauty. And it's fun. We like that. These groups of verses are not ones that you're typically going to see around a, a, on an Instagram with a round table and a cup of coffee and a little highlighter over something. These are ones that we like to skip over because they're hard. But we don't skip over the difficult parts of God's word because it's hard. Instead, we push in. So the first thing that we notice in these verses is that there is enough about God in nature to reveal who he is. Not, not the specifics. You know, you're not going to find salvation uh, in, in studying biology. But studying biology should point you to God. Uh, Brad and I were talking about uh, quantum physics, as people do, uh, the other day. <laughs> His wife looks at him like, what is wrong with you? Uh, because we were talking about it. We're talking about like subatomic particles and how they interact and how when we look at that, all of a sudden it makes us go, God is amazing. That's what we can get when we look at nature. John Locke, uh, Enlightenment thinker, says, the visible marks of the extraordinary wisdom and power appear so plainly in all the works of creation that a rational creature who will but seriously reflect on them cannot miss the discovery of the deity. As we look at nature, as we, as we study the, the cosmos and all these things, we should be, uh, like Psalms 8 says, looking at all this and goes, God, you're amazing. You did all this. But it's not enough to give us salvation. It is enough to let us know that he exists. And that's where the problem comes in. The problem isn't that God hasn't given us enough information to recognize him. It's that we reject him. And rejection of God is sin. The succumb, people succumb to the same temptation that, that the serpent gave to Adam and Eve. The question the serpent posed to Eve was, did God say? But what he was asking her is, does God have the authority to say? Is his authority valid? That's the question. We know what he said. The question becomes, is his authority valid? And the answer to that question either leads you to righteousness or to sin. Now, sin just means to miss the mark. Like, it's a pretty simple definition of what it means. It's just, you miss the mark. The question has to be, what is the mark? Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God, perfection, is the mark. It's pretty easy to see how we all miss that mark. Like, as good as you are, you're going to miss that mark. Because sin is not just a list of things to do or not to do. I wish it was that simple. Often, sin is a corruption of good, godly things. So sex is a gift to a husband and wife to enjoy within the bounds of marriage. To use that gift the wrong way is to sin. Right? Uh, to, to not help when it's within your power to do so is to sin because God has blessed you with the ability to do something for someone else. It's sin. To tear somebody down with our words is sin because the, the tongue is meant to edify and build life and, and to, to encourage others. So it's sin. But sin is also violating your own conscience. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. 
If you know something's right, this is the one that I think most of us struggle with all of the time. We know what we're supposed to do, and we don't do it. That's sin. If you know what's right, and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of something, and you don't do it, that's sin. Sin is also intentionally violating another person's conscience. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 28 says, But if someone says to you, this food, is sac- is, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. To know that something is going to cause somebody else to stumble and intentionally do that is sin. Again, I wish it was as simple as just a list of yeses and nos that I could pull out of my pocket anytime I need it and be like, oh, okay, well, this makes sense. I can, I can, okay, so today I'm not going to do these things. That's easy. But it's not. It's so much inward. So that's what sin is. What I really want to do this morning, though, is give us two biblical responses to sin. The second one's got a little bit more to it, but two biblical responses to sin. Proclamation of the truth and brokenness. I'm going to need a sip of water for this. (coughs) Proclamation of truth. I put this one first because generally, we like this. Generally, we we really like this and we're good at it. You know, I, I mentioned last week, like, we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions, right? We're really good at pointing out somebody else's wrongdoing. Someone else's mistake, someone else's perceived mistake, whatever it might be. And I don't really care if you're a Christian or not one yet. You're really good at pointing out other people's flaws. Why? Because you exist as a human being on this planet. You're good at it. It's something that we just, we're naturally able to do, is find the wrong somewhere and point it out. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus had no issue pointing out what was wrong when something was wrong, but he did it in grace and truth. He did it in love and mercy. He did it with an understanding that the person he's pointing out, they're broken. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again until my last breath. We want to be like Jesus, and we want to do everything he did in love. Jesus didn't shy away from telling somebody that they were wrong. When the, the, uh, the crowd brings the woman to Jesus and says, uh, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery and the law says we should stone her, Jesus didn't say she didn't do anything wrong. He said he didn't condemn her. There's a difference. He said, I, neither, I do not condemn you, but now go and sin no more. The truth is there. The truth, the reality of the situation, the wrong has been pointed out, and then the love and the mercy and the grace is there. Go and don't do it anymore. The harshest words that Jesus had for any group of people in the Gospels is for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He was constantly giving them woes. There's a whole section, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the scribes, woe to the religious leaders. But he's giving them woes because he wants them to recognize their own sin And do what they're supposed to be doing. Lead the people in righteousness. Love, honesty, proclamation of truth is a biblical response to sin. But there's another. And it's brokenness. This one is a little bit harder. The response of brokenness should be that we look at the world. 
We look at sin because everything that's broken is broken because of sin. Everything that is tainted is tainted because of sin. Everything that is corrupt is corrupted because of sin. And our response to that should be brokenness. That when we see sin around us, when, when we watch the news and we see that, that this country is at war with this country and, and this person was, was convicted of murder and all these different things, our, one of our first responses should be brokenness. That God's perfect and wonderful creation is broken. And then we should look at our own sin and become broken. In these verses, it says that God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts. God doesn't want anybody to sin. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But he does at times give you the desire of your heart if that's what you want to do. If you say, I've got it, God, I'll do whatever I want, then he says, fine, go ahead. But that's not his desire. A couple of verses for you. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32 says, I take no pleasure in anyone's death. The declaration of the, this is the declaration of the Lord God. So repent and live. Ezekiel 33, 11, Tell them, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person would turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, he, uh, who wants, he who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord does not delay in his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to perish. There's nobody who's on a list. If you're reformed, if you're... You know, can't think of the word here. Predestination, Calvinist. Thank you. It's fine. We can disagree on this point, but I am going to boldly say Jesus doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everyone to come to the cross. That his death was big enough for everyone to be saved, and that's what he desires. Why? Matthew twenty-three, verse thirty-seven. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather. Your children together as a hen gathers chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. God is always looking for people to draw to himself if you're willing. How does this tie into brokenness? Because Jesus wants people to come to him, and when they don't, he laments. He weeps for them. That should be our response too, is to weep for those who don't know Jesus, for those who don't have a relationship with him, for those who have a relationship but just keep putting them off at a distance and they say, Jesus, you can come into my life, but just this box over here, please, don't touch anything else. I've got it all organized just the way I like it. I don't want you to mess with anything. Jesus, you can come into my life, but just do me a favor and sit down and be quiet. Don't, don't touch anything. Our response to that should be brokenness, lamenting for people, lamenting for our own sins and confession. Psalms chapter 51, verses 1 through 4, is a beautiful psalm, and I've been in this psalm so much this week. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. 
against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. This sounds nice and it's poetic, but but, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) sorry. I'm, 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 I drink water often, I promise. Um, the, the, here's the background for this psalm. David is the king over Israel. He's the king. Things are going great. One day, David's supposed to be doing something, and he's not. And he's standing on his roof, and he sees this lady taking a bath. Why she had a bath, where everybody could see her doing her business, I don't know, but she did. David sees her and desires her. So he takes her and he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. Now, if that's not bad enough, he then has her husband killed. And he's got no problems with this. He's just plugging along, being King David. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. I feel fine. This is is not a problem. Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and tells him this story about about a, a man with a sheep. And this man's just got this one sheep and he loves the sheep and he takes care of the sheep and the sheep sleeps in the house and it's just, it's his prized possession and everything's great, right? And then somebody comes along and and takes the sheep. David's infuriated at this story. He's like, what the, that is not okay. That man should be put to death. That man is guilty of sin. He's angry, appropriately angry at the man in the story. He has a proclamation of truth, and he sees that the guilty person should be punished for his sin. And Nathan the prophet says, you are absolutely right. You are the man. David breaks down. This is his response to that. Because we can be angry about sin, we can point it out, we can judge others, we can have a proclamation of the truth, but when God says, you are the man, when the story's being told and God says, you are the woman, our response is lament and brokenness. God likes it when we get our righteous anger on, because then he can go, and by the way, While you're being so judgmental, here's another thing for you to judge. And we should see that as he points that out, and we should be broken. Lament is an appropriate response to sin. St. Basil the Great says, Weep over your sin. It is spiritual ailment. It is death to your immortal soul. It deserves ceaseless, unending weeping and crying. Let all tears flow for it and sighing come forth without ceasing, from the depths of your heart. That is our response to sin. Because we see it and we lament, we're broken. We then see it in our own lives and we go, I'm not who I think I am. I I know who I am. Like, I, I I have no misgivings about who I am. I know my brokenness. I know the depths of my corruption of my brokenness. I know the thoughts I think. I know the things I've done. I know how hard I fight against sin and other things. And when I think about these things, I lament and I weep because it's so heavy. And then I rejoice because Jesus loves me in spite of all that. 
That's the purpose of lamenting, is to feel the weight. Feel the heaviness. Let it burden you. Let it, let it push you down to your knees. Let the weight of your sin and the sin in the world and the corruption that exists around you, let it infuriate you. Let it, let it make you so angry that you can hardly stand sometimes. And then like we said last week, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. But you have to know how heavy the weight is. Because the heavier it is, the less you ever want to go back to it. If you know how, how crushed you felt when you did that thing, and when I say that thing, I, I can almost promise you, most people in the room know what that thing is. There's that thing that pops into your head and you go, that thing, yeah. If they knew about that thing, they wouldn't want me here. If they knew about that thing, they wouldn't let me be involved in any of these ministries. If they knew about that thing, it'd be a mess. You never lighten your load unless you first felt the pressure of it in your own soul. You were never used of God to bring blessing until he has opened your eyes and made you see things as they are. Alan Redpath, in his book on Nehemiah, the first chapter of Nehemiah has Nehemiah just breaking down. He asks, how is Jerusalem? And they tell him, and all of a sudden he's broken. And he acknowledges, this happened because of my sin. This happened because of my father's sin. This happened because of my people's sin. I apologize, the, like my clip fell off. And he acknowledges that that's why this happened, and then he asks God for forgiveness. One of the best things we can do is lament about sin before God and then give him that weight and let him take it. And that leads us to the second part of brokenness, and that's confession. And confession leads to forgiveness. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says, This is the Lord's declaration. Whenever you're reading in the Bible and you see this is the Lord's declaration, you're supposed to stop and go, and what was that, sir? I will not look on you with anger, for I am unfailing in my love. This is the Lord's declaration. Twice in, this, in these two verses. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. That's the Lord's declaration. Like, sometimes people are like, I just don't understand what God wants from me. You know, and I've told you before, in Malachi it sums it up really well. Mercy, justice, humility. But these are the Lord's declarations. Like, you're thinking, God's so mad at me. Really? Because I think what he said, if I'm not mistaken, is, I will not look on you with anger, for I am unfailing in my love. Well, God just, he could never forgive me for that thing. Well, I think what he says is, this is the Lord's declaration. I will not be angry forever, only acknowledge your guilt. Confession is good for the soul. It's so good for you. They've said, I've heard people say before, one of the best things that could ever happen to you was for the nightly news to air all of your sins and mistakes. Yeah, it sounds horrible. I can see some people going, uh, and I'm moving to Africa. But think of it, then it's all out there. It's out there, it's gone, it's done. There's no hiding, there's no shame, there's nothing for you to hide behind. You just open. That's how you stand before God all of the time. He says, now confess your guilt. And when we confess, we're able to walk rightly with God. 
Because so often, most of the times that we're having struggles in our walk with God is not because he's distant, it's not because he doesn't want to deal with us, it's not because he doesn't want to talk to us, it's because we're hiding something, and so we're not walking with him. And he's going, I'm right here. Just bring, bring your baggage with you, it's fine. Come on over. When, when we are broken about sin, when we feel the weight in our own soul, and again, I don't think we have too many little ones in here. I see one. I'll try to use code words. Your parents. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to fix you later. Uh, he's like a tiny, real human. You guys are doing an awesome job with that one. Um, okay, so whatever your sin is, here's what I want us to do. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Is I am going to just leave just a little bit of space here. We're going to take 30 seconds. And you think about whatever that thing is. Because, I mean, like I said, I've got a list a mile long of things I've done that I regret and things that I shouldn't have done. And then within that mile-long list, there are a couple things that are pretty bolded that I can see from, again, a mile away. That I can look at that list and go, that's the one I don't want anybody to know. That's the one I'm most ashamed of. So I want to give us 30 seconds and just pray and confess that thing to God. If you want to say it out loud, feel free. But just take 30 seconds and say, God, I'm sorry for my picket, adultery, robbery, whatever it might be. I don't know your thing. 